Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of Trial by Podcast for 2023. Brought to you by myself, Chantelle, Bella and Morgan. McCaves would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional custodians of our land and their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to their cultures and elders, past, present and emerging. Before we begin today's episode, we want to mention that this podcast contains brief discussions of domestic violence, mental health and suicide. Please give this episode a miss if these topics may be triggering. If you or anyone you know is affected by these issues, we encourage you to call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit www.lifeline.org.au. So guys, with that being said, we all know that reality TV has significantly increased in popularity in recent years. Whether it's turning on an episode of Love Island to unwind after work, being drawn in by the drama of Married at First Sight, or telling yourself you could easily win Big Brother or Survivor. According to the Australian Communications and Media Authority, 76% of Australians have watched a relationship-based reality program. But Bella, the rise of reality TV has also seen an increase in adverse effects on reality television contestants' mental health, including psychiatric conditions, bullying, online trolling and suicides. Because of this, the questions around both legal and moral issues are brought up. So how much do we really know about our favourite shows? That is what we'll be discussing today. Let's first look at what happens prior to filming. So let's say you've applied for a reality TV show and have been successful in the interviews. Typically, part of the pre-filming process requires participants to provide their consent to participate. Would you sign a contract that says a network can alter, adapt, utilise and exploit the program in any way it sees fit? If not, then the chances are you would not be accepted as participants. This is the wording of a real release form used by Network 10. In effect, this is where audiovisual material is recorded, often weeks apart, then edited to appear as if they occurred at the same time. This is known as Frankensteining and is something networks are known for. This is what produces those intense and exciting scenes. It often distorts events and deceives viewers, all in pursuit of drama. On that note, Morgan, what if I told you that many of the shows termed quote-unquote reality shows often predetermine their outcomes? Speaking on her podcast earlier this year, Australian TV presenter Jessica Rowe explained that she was chatting to a celebrity who actually revealed to her that they only signed on to a particular show because their guaranteed win was in their contract. No way. So these contracts allow networks to chop and change your words and predetermine finales. Is there anything else participants should be aware of before signing the dotted line? Actually, yes, there is. Usually participants must be willing to surrender almost all of their privacy and information. And in the context of reality singing shows, even their performances. What do you mean? Well, networks require things like access to personal emails and social media accounts, which are often linked to a person's camera roll, for instance. Other privacy issues also come up when participants agree to be recorded 24 hours a day, like in Big Brother or Survivor. Even reality singing shows impose demanding contract terms. For example, buried deep in the fine print of Network 7's contract for X Factor was a clause stating that participants agree to hand over the rights to their performances in perpetuity. If you haven't heard of this term before, this means that they actually give permission for their performances to be used for all time forever. And this is no exaggeration. Their work, and with that much of their personal information, is forever someone else's property. Alarmingly, participants must also agree to only sign recording and management agreements based on alleged independent legal advice. 
But conveniently enough, it is the networks who provide the practitioners who actually give this advice. Many of the shows also prohibit participants from discussing their involvement in the show, whether it be with their families or on a more public platform like on Instagram or radio interviews. Whilst these contracts are legally binding, fortunately not everything about these shows is. For example, the weddings that the MAPS participants partake in are no more than commitment ceremonies. They symbolise that the couples intend to commit fully for the duration of the experiment. They are not legally binding unions as they do not comply with the Marriage Act. Now let's turn to what happens during filming. Morgan, let me tell you, there are literally two types of people in this world. Those who watch reality TV and those who overhear you talking about it and say, don't you know it's all fake? And while we laugh it off, it is true. Camera angles, participants and the filming environment are all controlled and manipulated by producers in a bid to bring the action. Oh, 100% Chantel, and it absolutely works. Consider that sleep rationing is used, incidentally or not, as a tactic by producers. When people are tired, they're more likely to react emotionally. They're unpredictable and more irritable. This heightens the drama and increases engagement. Morgan, if you were to only get a couple of hours of sleep every night, how would you function? I simply wouldn't. (laughs) Interestingly, sleep deprivation has also historically been used as a method of torture for prisoners in war. Yet producers refer to this tactic as their ally. Odd, right? Mm. This gives participants their craziness that is so entertaining. Contestants of Love Island have even alleged that the show's producers committed misleading and deceptive conduct by promising that they would find love on the show when many, unsurprisingly, do not. No surprises there, Morgan. US media reports have highlighted that at least 21 reality stars have committed suicide in just a decade. Do TV networks owe participants a duty of care surrounding injuries, whether it's mental or physical health? Well, TV networks may be deemed to be the employers of participants, therefore owing a duty of care to them. This was found in two decisions against Seven Network, the first being Green and Seven, the second being Nicole Elizabeth Prince and Seven Network. This means that pursuant to the Work Health and Safety Act, the employer must, so far as is reasonably practicable, ensure the health and safety of participants while they are on the shows. Employers have an obligation to take reasonable care not to expose employees to unnecessary risks to their health and safety and to prevent injury or harm while filming, both physical and mental. In the 2020 season of MAFS, members of the Australian public actually raised concerns that one of the relationships on the show exhibited signs of domestic violence and actually alleged that Nine Network had failed to exercise its duty of care as an employer, enabling the victim and the toxic and dangerous environment. Thousands of people signed a petition calling for Nine to acknowledge and apologise for letting the participant endure such treatment and simultaneously glorifying and profiting from domestic violence. The Nine Network denied that the relationship was characterised by domestic violence and no further action was actually taken. I actually think that's a really good point, Chantel. Veering away a bit from the legal side of things, I guess, it's interesting to see societal values at play in the way that the public also holds concerns and genuine ones at that about what recurs on reality TV. And I guess that's that sort of public interest element. Yeah, definitely, Bella. It's good to see that public interest is playing a very pivotal role in these cases. So this is what we see because the events are caught on camera. But what about when the cameras are gone? 
Well, a former House Rules contestant by the name of Nicole Prince actually suffered a major depressive episode and symptoms consistent with PTSD after her and her partner were portrayed as the mean girls and villains in the 2017 season of the show. They were flooded with violent and hateful comments on social media, and we all know how that can be. As a result, she brought a workers' compensation claim against the Seven Network in what was then the New South Wales Workers' Compensation Commission. She provided evidence that the program's directors manipulated content to ensure that she appeared hypercritical of others. The commission held that the former contestant was in fact an employee and thus Network 7 was found to be liable. The commission ordered Network 7 to pay the contestant compensation for the psychological injury she suffered, which included adjustment disorder, anxiety disorder, depression and PTSD, which she suffered after she was harassed and bullied throughout the show. This was an important decision, raising questions about the potential for other employment-related claims for reality TV contestants in relation to things such as minimum wages, superannuation entitlements and the like. A hundred percent, Morgan. Interestingly, Miss Prince's claim that she was portrayed as one of the main girls and villains and subsequently suffered as a result is not surprising at all. Character stereotypes are inherent to reality TV programs where there are two camps, heroes or villains. To align the image of the participant with their assigned character, conversations, actions and direct-to-video confessions are actually edited and presented to the viewer, like we mentioned earlier, in such a way that they fall into these roles. For those playing the hero, there is a likelihood of future reality shows because they tend to be so well-liked. That makes sense, Chantelle, and now that I think about it, watching these TV shows, there's always classes of heroes and villains. Mm. So what happens to these so-called villains? Well, for those cast as villains, it is a different story entirely with potential legal ramifications for the contestant and the network alike. Coincidentally, those cast as the villains meet a different fate. The villains of the show are the ones who are seeking, and often winning, compensation for mental harm suffered because of this production choice. On a global scale, reality TV has had catastrophic consequences. In the UK, two Love Island stars committed suicide in 2018 and 2019, and a third death affiliated with the show was that of a former presenter. Three female contestants on the 2018 edition of Love Island also had intimate revenge porn images of themselves circulated during the show's filming. So while signing up to reality TV may bring an Instagram following, headlines and some form of income, as it turns out, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. I agree. There doesn't appear to be much reality in reality TV. Instead, several legal and moral issues. You're right there, guys. It might be better to remain on this side of the screen. Binge watching the shows rather than actually featuring on them. We hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Trial by Podcast. 